0: my favorite rides at a water park is the Lazy River. And I know some of you are thinking, Tim, that's not a ride. And uh, that's what my kids tell me. But at 41 years old, it is a ride, right? I, but I, I enjoy some Lazy River. And uh, what's so unique, and many of you have been on a Lazy River, you, you know how it works, is you get in the float, and it's just kind of, it's lazy, right? It's subtle. It just kind of pushes you down a certain way and, and you end up in another spot. Maybe you take a nap. Maybe you fall asleep along the way. Maybe you're kind of laughing and, and talking with somebody else. Maybe you're drinking a mocktail. I don't know how you roll, but like you're, you're on this lazy river and on a float and you're just kind of subtly going down somewhere because there's some jet streams that are pushing you that way, but it seems really slow and subtle and, and lazy. What I like to do in the lazy river is at some point I get out of the float And I just get in the water, and I start to try to walk in the opposite direction of the current. Anybody else try this? Is this me? So you're like, no, Tim, I enjoy the lazy river. Like, what's wrong with you? And I hear you. I'm I'm kind of a weird person. So I just, I get out of the float, and I start trying to walk against the current, and I realize this lazy river is not so lazy. It's not so subtle that there's actually a lot of powerful jet streams that are pushing against me as I try to walk uh, against those. Now, why why do I tell you that? Because I believe that's what's happening in our culture. And I believe that's why we are doing this series, Lies About Love. We have one more week of this series. We're almost at the end. A lot of you are new to our church. Let me just frame this series up for you. Here's what we've been doing. As a culture, in our relationships, the way we view love, we have been guided by some ideas, some some philosophies, by some ways of doing relationships that are misguided, that aren't for our best, that aren't for your best in marriage, your best in friendships, your best in families. And some of these ideas and philosophies that are guiding us are actually outright lies. But it's subtle I mean, you're just riding in the float. You're going in the stream of culture, just like everybody else is in your marriage and your relationships and your friendships. And you're looking at everybody else in the world and they're all we're all in the lazy river together and we're just kind of being pushed along in our marriage. We're kind of being pushed along in our friendships and with our roommates as a single person in our society behind these ideas and philosophies. And some of them are lies and you get out of the lazy river at some point and you don't like where you have ended up in your marriage that's now ending in divorce, in your depression, in your debt, in your tension constantly with people across the aisle from you. And it's just, just subtle, just kind of pushing us along. And so here's what this series has been about, and here's what it's about today. It's about us getting out of the float and starting to walk upstream against the lies to discover some truth. That's what we're doing in this entire series. And the reality is, it's more comfortable to ride in the float. And so some of us have been uncomfortable in this series. Like as we talked about conflict. Uncomfortable. Got out of the float. Hey, let's walk upstream. Let's talk about what forgiveness looks like, not resentment. You're like, I don't, Tim, can I get back in the float of resentment? I like that better. And some of you are like, we talked about sex. And we're like, man, just Tim, can I just stay in the float and not think about sex? Because that's awkward to talk about in church with my kids. we said, no, we got to get out. We got to start walking upstream. We got to expose the lies and we got to discover the truth. Because while uncomfortable, that's actually what leads to fullness and true life in our relationships. And so that's what we're doing again today with money. And so I'm, I'm inviting you, get out of the float. Let's be a little uncomfortable together as we talk about money but let's pursue truth and wholeness in our money and in our relationships. You with me? Okay, all right. Well, let's do it. Lie number 10 is it's my money. It's my money. Uh, This is something that we often say. Like we sometimes say it in marriage. We tell our spouse, like, hey, this is my money. I I worked for this. This is from my side of things, my paycheck. Now we know as believers, that's, that's actually a lie. Because in marriage, what happens is two become one. And it's not which one, it's a new one, right? And that's financially, that's spiritually, that's relationally, sexually, emotionally, everything. And that includes your bank account, right? So it's just free tip right off the bat. Stop saying it's my money to your wife or to your husband, right? Solve like a lot of y'all's problems just now. There you go. But it's not, if you pull back even further, it's not just that simple, like it's not just within marriage, it's, it's within all of creation that Psalm 24 actually tells us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including your money. And so it's not even your money as a married couple, it's not your money as a single person, it is it's God's money, because everything is, is God's right? And so again, uh, we could just look at the lie like, it's my money, and we could say, no, the truth is, let's walk upstream. The truth is, no, it's all God's, and we could just pray and go home. Uh, But I don't think that would actually be that helpful, right? What I want to do is what Paul does in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can grab a Bible and head there with me, is I, I want us to see his warning about viewing money as mine, and then I want us to look at his remedy for what we should do instead, that God has a better way. Aren't you thankful that God gives us a better way? He doesn't just say, hey, stop that. He replaces it with something better. That's what we're going to see in our passage as we look at it. First Timothy chapter 6, towards the end of your New Testament, I'd love for you to see the power of God's word, not just listen to my word. So it'll be up on the screen, but I'd love for you to grab a Bible if you have one. First Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, it says this. Now there is great gain, mega gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare or a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here's our warning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The warning is, chasing more of what you can't keep will always cost you more than you want to give. Chasing more of what you can't keep will actually cost you more than you want to give. If you look at the text with me, and I'll always love for you to look along and see what I'm seeing in the text, Paul raises some serious costs that are associated with money. Uh, But but first, I want to look at what he is not saying. And you got to pay really close attention to the scriptures. Paul's not saying having money is bad. Paul's not saying having a lot of money is bad or being rich is bad. No, let's look at closely what he is saying. Verse nine, those who desire to have lots of money, to be rich. Verse 10, those who love money. Later, those who crave money. Listen, having money. I need to free some of y'all who have some money today, and that's all of us. You got some money. Having money is not bad. It becomes bad when it has you. That's what this is saying. So really, some of us, when we talk about money, we check out in church because you're like, Tim, that must be a struggle for somebody else. But I, I, like, I'm feeling in my back pocket, it's light. And I looked at my bank account this morning, and it is low. And so, like, there's some rich people in here. Yes, amen, pastor, preach it, but, but not for me. And listen, no, this is, Paul's unbiased. God's unbiased. Because everybody can desire, can crave, can love money, even if they don't have it at all. In fact, many times, that's the people who do. And as we get more of it, we just want more. And so this applies to all of us. And as we, as we look at it, the, the, the Bible is uh, very clear on where this leads. Like, again, the lazy river, if we are being led down a stream, if, we, if there's jet currents, philosophies of like, get your money, I got to get mine, and we start to crave more and more and more, that leads us, that drops us off at a certain place. And the Bible's gonna give us a vivid picture of where that drops us off if we give into that. Verse nine, look at the verse. It causes you to fall into temptation, a snare, a trap. It's a trap because you do not see it coming. Right? You're you're walking along, you're working 60, 70 hours a week to the neglect of your family. You're you're on Amazon all the time, you're looking at a bigger house, you're always wanting the car you don't have, you're always wanting the smarter phone and the flatter TV and your heart goes to that, and you crave it, and you long for it, and all of a sudden, you step into a trap that you didn't see coming. No, it's supposed to provide you joy and contentment and peace, and it's supposed to help you keep up with the Joneses, and no, you you fell in a trap, in a snare, Paul says. That's what happens if we give into this. We we give into senseless and harmful desires. We plunge into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, it causes some to leave the faith. And here's the reality, man. We don't, we don't just see this biblically. We see this practically. Right? We see studies show it's still consistent that most often couples fight about money. It's the number one thing we fight about. That divorce, next to infidelity, that's one. The second most leading cause of divorce is money. And don't you think that's interesting? Just as an aside, sex and money, the biggest thing we struggle with in relationships, specifically marriage, and for a lot of us, even as we're single, that's attention for us. And yet, those are the two things that we do not want to talk about in church. And those are the two things that are taking us out in our relationships and our world. And, well, you do, Pastor, why you got to talk about sex and money? Because we're not doing well with it. And, we, and God's word speaks to it. There's something like Jesus, all the parables he, he spoke and, and stories he told that a quarter of them talked about money, that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. And so I would just submit to you today, like if you go to a church and they're not talking about money at all, they're not preaching God's word and you wanna to go to a different church. Because if there's that much of scripture and that much of Jesus who talks about this issue and I don't talk about it, then we're not being faithful to the word of God. And we're not helping the people, right? And so we, we have to look at this. We have to look at this honestly of where this leads. And, and we have to ask the question, why? What I love about Scripture as well is it just doesn't tell us what, like, hey, don't chase money. It will lead to your ruin. No, it tells us why that happens. It gets into the psychology of it. And the first thing is it's something that we can't keep. If you chase money, it's a fleeting pursuit. It's like Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, it's like chasing the wind. You can never quite grab it, right? We see that in verse seven. It says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. This, This is an indisputable truth, both biblically and practically. This is why you shouldn't chase money. It's why it leads to your ruin because you can't actually catch it. You can't actually go anywhere with it. At some point, the IRS takes it. Amen. And at some point, the business deal dies. And at some point for all of us, last I checked, the mortality rate is 100%. And you you can't take it with you. I love the way Randy Alcorn, who wrote The Treasure Principle, we actually gave you this book for free a little bit ago. If you didn't get one, let us know today and we'll give you one. He said it this way, he who dies with the most toys still dies and never takes his toys with him. You know what's that saying? I'm from Texas, and so you got to say it like with a Texas accent, like you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? I don't know why you got to say it that way, but you do. And you're like, every time I hear that, I'm always like, that's true. <laughs> I've never seen one because you can't take it with you. And so if everything in your life is craving the next thing and craving that we got to renovate our house. We got to upgrade our house. We got to move to a, a bigger house. We got to get a different car. We got to get a smarter phone. We got to get a flatter TV. If everything in your life is like, we got to make a little bit more money. We got to get that promotion. We got to take a different job. If everything in your life is seen through that lens, it is fleeting and it will fail you at the end because you can't take it with you. And Paul reminds us, hey, if you give into this current, if you stay on the float, this is where it leads. The second thing is, it starts to compete with God. If you crave money like Paul's talking about, like our culture wants us to, it starts to compete with God. I think it's so interesting, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He says, you can't serve God and money. Money. Now, I think if I pulled back and was not talking about money today, if I just looked at this in a vacuum, I would think, no, you can't serve you two masters. You can't serve God and Satan. And they seem to oppose each other. <laughs> they seem to be two masters. But he doesn't say Satan. He says money. Why? Well, money has this unique power to capture and captivate your heart. Just a couple verses before, Jesus also said this, Matthew six twenty one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, okay. Now, I think we got to talk about this verse for a second because this is often one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. I think, I don't have anything to back this up. I think it's like top 10. Because I hear it all the time. And many of us will say this. We'll say, hey, where your heart is, there your treasure is. And some of you right now are thinking, yeah, Tim, what's wrong with that? Well, Jesus actually said the opposite. That's what's wrong (laughs) What did he say? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Here's what that looks like What you treasure, what you invest in, your heart follows after, not the way around. It's not that, low, hey, I feel these things in my heart and have these beliefs, have these things that are important to me and convictions, and like my treasure will catch up with that. Jesus says, that's not how it works. He says, where you put your money, your finances, and your possessions, is where you also will end up putting your heart. And how many of you know, when you bought that new car, that F-350, oh, glorious. How many of you know, you, you spent a lot of money on that, especially in this economy, amen? And you're gonna spend a lot more money, I hate to break it to you, on gas. And how many of you bought that car, you, you put your treasure there, you leaned out, you given that monthly payment, and when you first buy it, what, what do you do? You, you park like a mile away at the grocery store. Cause you're like nobody better ding my door. When you're driving, you start to break out in cold sweats when you see a 16 year old driving next to you in a Prius. You're like, hey, why, why is everybody out to get me today? Why, why are you feeling that in your heart? Because you put your treasure there. It, it's it's like when um, <laughs> it is like when you um, renovate your home. And it's just, it's just brick and mortar. But you're like, man, that's all my wife and I think about. That's all we care about. Why? It's because you're putting your your treasure there. So your heart follows after it. And so this is, this is where it takes us. It's not just about behavior modification. It's about a heart transformation that takes place if we give ourselves over to this. And so Paul is going to give us a, a warning about that. And man, People have been trying to give us warnings about this for a long time, and, and Paul tried to do it, and, and our culture even tries to do it at some points, like, I mean, we see it like the great theologian of the 1990s, Puff Daddy. Anybody know what Puff Daddy said? Mo' money, mo' problems, Right? And so, I mean, at some level, we, we know this because all of us are facing this, right? Like all of us are up against this in our culture. I, I don't want to stress you out more than you already are, but I'm just going to tell you, we're about to pivot in this holiday season. We're going to experience Thanksgiving and you're going to eat some turkey. You're going to have family and friends. You're going to watch the Dallas Cowboys win the game. Jesus. And uh, that's not going to happen. Let's not kid ourselves. But, you know, you're going to have some turkey, and you're going to be thankful, man. For one day, you're going to be thankful for. And the next day, you're going to pivot to, I want more. It's going to be Black Friday, and the chaos is going to ensue. And listen, that's going to last for a month, not a day. This is the culture in which we live. Right? And every like all the algorithms and all the advertisements are going to be up against you and this whole idea of being content and not craving money. I experienced it this week. I went on Amazon, listen, to buy some socks. I, I needed some socks. And as I was on Amazon buying some socks, literally on the page, we took a screenshot of it. We'll show it to you. On the page that I was buying some socks on, I saw this guy on the beach working out with some biceps that I don't have. And I'm buying some socks and all of a sudden I'm just like, I need to be on the beach with some biceps. And I was like, no, I was just buying some socks for like $15. And everything's telling me like, no, customers who frequently bought this also bought this. Anybody been there? Hey, you know what would go really well with this? Like typically others might, like people that bought this, you might like this. And I'm like, how do you know the inner workings of my soul, Amazon? And you're, you're up against it with what you have and what you don't have. I, I don't know, some of y'all young people, I'm just gonna tell you something, break some, this is a revelation serious today. Um, at one point in life, when things broke, you bought a new one. And when it wasn't broken, you just kept the thing you had. It's crazy. You didn't upgrade just to get the upgrade. You just—if it broke—and then when it broke, sometimes you didn't even buy a new one. You just listen. You fixed it. Anybody remember that? But now it's like, no, you gotta have. I mean, I have an iPhone eight, and my daughter's always like, "Dad, you're so lame." Why? And I think like there's like a 15 now, so I'm behind. And it's just, and my, my phone's not broke, so I'm gonna I'm a wait till it breaks, it's close. But this is what we're up against. So how in the world would you ever be content and not crave money? How in the world do we get out of the float and walk upstream in this? Do we just stop craving money? Do we just cancel Christmas? I don't think you have the power to do that. Black Friday is still coming for you. The algorithms are not going to stop. And so how do we do that? Paul's going to give us a remedy. Look down in the text a little bit with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Here's what it says. As for the rich in this present age, notice what he says, I, I charge them, I command them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Don't do this. Don't put your hope in money. Don't just crave money. Crave God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing of treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here's our second thing, is you give. Here's the remedy. You give what you cannot keep anyway, You let that go to take hold of what you cannot lose. You give what you cannot keep and you take hold of what you cannot lose. This is kind of adapted from Jim Elliott. He was a missionary. He talked about his life this way. And We should definitely view our, our money this way. He, he talks about the rich, and here's the reality. Many of us in 2023, we got to redefine rich because, again, many of us are like, well, Tim, that's good for some people, but I'm not rich. And listen, the reality is in 2023 in America, if you have shelter, food, clean water, some form of transportation, and the ability to work and read compared to billions across the globe, we're rich. All right? so Paul is talking to us. I mean, think about when he writes this in ancient times, and many of us, we do have those devices like that buzz us all the time and keep us away from our kids. You know, those like smartphones. I don't know if they're that smart, but you know, we are, you and I are rich comparatively to the rest of the world compared to the rest of history. And so what does he tell us to do with this whole idea of being discontent and chasing money and ruining us? He says, verse 17 you got to understand God richly provided for you. This comes from whatever you have today, your material possessions, whatever your bank account shows, whatever you have in, in any sort of value in your life. Paul just said, verse 17, God richly provided for you. And listen, some of you are thinking, well, Tim, yeah, but I, I worked 60 hours. I, I, mean, I, I went and got that degree. I like, yeah, okay, I know that's what you're supposed to say in church. But like, and let me just tell you, if you are a believer in Jesus, Paul just commanded you by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is your framework. This is the lens through which you see your money and possessions. And so if we don't want to crave money and end up in ruin and divorce and debt and depression, we have to get our minds around. We have to genuinely believe with our heart of hearts that what I have is not mine, it is God's. And whatever you have, that you would give him the glory for it. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do this Thanksgiving, and even today, you don't have to wait for Thanksgiving, is say to God, God, I wanna thank you for everything that you have blessed me with, for everything that you have richly provided for in my life, in my marriage, in my home, for for me personally. Because if you don't give God that glory, your heart will start to move to a place in that stream of idolatry. And some of you are there today. Your money has become an idol. You have become an idol. Because you say, no, Tim, I got mine. This is what I have done. This is my sweat, blood, and tears. This is my sacrifice. If, you're, if you believe God's word, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not an option for you. It's not an option for me. And once we realize that, once we get out of the float and we start walking and discovering that truth, we can actually enjoy our money. Do you notice that's how Paul said it? I mean, some of you are feeling like condemned and convicted right now, but Paul actually said, once you realize this, you can actually enjoy your money. And you can stop chasing more of it and you can just enjoy what you have. I need to free some of you today. You don't need to feel bad. Some of you are like, we're talking about money today and I wore this nice watch I just got. Whoops. So I was talking to somebody the other day who's on our staff who will remain nameless and he got a new pair of shoes. They're Nikes and they're white and bright and they're they're, kind of cool. And he was like, I don't know if I should wear these around the church. (laughs) And I'm like, bro, are you kidding me right now? Like, and you, got, you, you got some new shoes, like wear them. Like don't not wear shoes, that would be weird. Like, and thank God for the shoes, right? Do you see the difference? Praise God for all that he's given you and actually enjoy it instead of thinking, I wish I had some shoes or I wish I had that person's shoes. Just wear yours and enjoy them, right? God, God's not anti-joy about your possessions. I'm not, and just so you know, like we already took the offering one, so everybody calm down. We're not taking a second one today. And we're also not going to, we have people that pray for you down here at the front. We ask you to come to an altar and pray and and you're gonna have an opportunity to do that when we sing. Here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to bring your wallet and burn it at the altar. I'm not asking you to do that. I mean, enjoy what you have. Just don't ever think that you have it. No, God has it. And he richly blessed you with it to enjoy. He richly blessed you with it to verse 18, to be rich in good works to others, to be generous, to share. Here's the reality. You are going to leave your money and your stuff behind when you die. You just are. You're gonna leave those things behind and you need to be asking yourself the question, what else am I leaving behind? Are you leaving behind integrity? Are you leaving behind making a difference? Are you leaving behind blessing other people, your kids and their grandkids? Are you leaving behind a lineage, a legacy of generosity? I've done some funerals in my time as a pastor, and we never celebrate at those funerals a person who took it all for himself, who hoarded it all for themselves. We always celebrate. You know who we celebrate? You know who we give value to at the end of days? The one who gave it all away. The one who fills up a room of people that have been blessed by somebody else. At the end of your days in the hospital, I've been by some of those hospital beds, and people are at their final moments of life. You know what they're thankful for? You know what they want to do in those moments? They don't ask me to like, can you go get my stock portfolio? I'm about to die. I just want to see it and I hold it in my hands one more time. Can you, Tim, can you, I'm right by this window here. Can you drive up my SUV? Just as I die and take my last breath, I just want to see it one more time. That's not what they do. You know what they ask for? Prayer and people. Why? Because that's what's valuable at the end of life. Their relationship with God and their relationship with others and how they impacted others, and how God impacted them with his generosity. That's what they're banking on. That's what they're holding on. That's what they're anchoring on. And friends, you don't want to wait till your last day to start anchoring in that. You want to start doing it today. You want to get out of the float and start walking towards the truth with your money and be generous. And so how do we do that? Uh, I'm going to give you four quick steps. Four quick practical things that I think will help you and just kind of lay it out as a starting point of what it means to live like this. Here's the first thing. As you look at your money, your possessions, your finances, that you would think, I'm going to honor God first. And listen, I know many of us would say with our words, oh, I do that. right, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and God has richly blessed me. Like, praise be to God. Like, I'll sing about that. What I'm saying is it's not just singing about it. It's not just saying it, it's showing it. And one of the reasons why Jesus talked about money so much and one of the reasons the scripture talks about tithing 10th of your income to the Lord is because it's an act, it's a vivid demonstration, not just a declaration, it's a vivid demonstration that you actually believe that everything is God. It's about what your heart is trusting in because God knows that your wallet is gonna, it's gonna go after, you're gonna go after your wallet. You're gonna go after these possessions. You're gonna crave. You're gonna wanna love money and that's gonna lead to your destruction. And so he's gonna give you a way to actively show instead to replace that with this, to give God worship, to actively trust him with our money. Listen, we're not gonna do a whole sermon on tithing. We ain't got time for that, but I would just say this. There's an Old Testament standard of tithe that means a 10th of your income. And we move to the New Testament and it talks about deciding to give and and cheerfully doing that. And many of us were like, well, Tim, that means I'm gonna give less. And I I just think that's confusing because in the New Testament, we got Jesus Christ who wiped away all of our sin, who lived a perfect life, who died a perfect death in our place for our sin, who rose again in victory. And, And that shouldn't make us be Less generous, it should make us be more generous. Amen? It's literally in the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave. And that prompts us to give. And it's an active way that we fight against being discontent. I know for my wife and I, this has been a journey for us, man. We, we dedicated all of our babies. Like we got on a stage like this. Some of you have done this. We're going to do this in December. We did like a child dedication, but if I'm honest, like we dedicated our child, like a human life, but early on in our marriage, we never dedicated our wallets. We were holding on to those. Our, our kid, God will give you those. <laughs> but in my wallet, come on now, that's a little offensive. That's a little sensitive. It's my money. Anybody been there? And just early on, my wife and I, like this is the heart treasure thing. In our hearts, we felt like we were generous. But here's what's crazy. Our heart didn't follow our treasure. We, I care about people, Tim. I don't, I don't want people to die. I want the poor people to be blessed. I want the church to flourish and carry on the mission of God. Like, I want that in my heart, but that never led to our treasure. Changing. You know what happened? Is we made a decision. We got convicted. We realized, like, we started looking at our bank account. We're like, man, our treasure does, does not lie with God. Every once in a while, just kind of writing a check when we feel like it for an ambiguous amount, like we're tipping God, not tithing to God. That doesn't align. And so we started automating our giving. We started giving sacrificially, giving generously, and we put our treasure out there in a place. And guess what started to happen? Our hearts started to follow along because we had to trust God for our finances. We had to, we had to be desperate. We literally didn't have much money. I was working three jobs. We had two kids, right? Right? And we had to trust God at that point. It was no longer a convenient thing to do or something to say we did in church and feel good about ourselves. It was what we had to do. And you know what came with that? Misery. Poverty. You think that's true? No. Freedom. Less stress about money. Money. More reliance upon a good father who wants to provide for his kids. More impact in our lives. Like, what God can do with, with 10% is way more than we can do with 100%. And we started to see, like, oh, people are being blessed by this. Lives are being changed. Like, man, we want to be a part of that. So, as your pastor, I mean, this isn't like just a giving talk today, but I would just say it's a worship talk. Where are you putting your heart, your trust? It's where you're putting your treasure. And if, if all of your treasure stays within you and you don't ever be generous to, to give it to God actively, then you are eventually going to run towards ruin and destruction like Paul says. And God doesn't want that. And I don't want that. And so we honor God first. The second thing is we make a written plan. Like something happens. How many of you know this? Something happens when you write it down or put it in a spreadsheet. Or enter it into an app. I don't know how you do it. But something happens when you write it down. When you write all, where's my money going? And some of you need to do this. In your marriage, you are fighting about money because you never actually just talk and plan about money. How many, you know, you just, anytime money comes up, it's a fight. How about we start, instead of fighting, we start planning. We just start talking and we just start putting it down On paper. A friend of mine named Chad Moore, he's pastor, he says it this way We give first, we save second, we live on the rest. We give first, we save second, we live on the rest. You can start simple like that. Here's here's what I believe. I believe, even even as I talk about tithing and giving in the church, all of y'all look so happy and excited. And here's what I believe I actually think most people want to give, they want to be generous. They've just never budgeted so that they can do that. And so, make a plan. Get with your roommates today. Make a plan. Get with your parents. Make a plan. Get with your spouse and make a plan. Here's the third thing. Enjoy it. Don't just chase it. Start finding some ways to enjoy what you have instead of always looking at what you don't have. This is really important as we do approach the holidays, as we do approach this this season of festive amazing things where we go into debt and uh, come out in the new year depressed. You know that season, Christmas? It's gonna be really important that you start thinking about how can we enjoy what we have? doesn't mean you don't go buy stuff for people, but you just are intentional of like, maybe, maybe every, like, every part of Christmas doesn't need to be about going and chasing as Christians. Maybe it needs to be about enjoying each other. Maybe you need to buy somebody an experience gift and say, hey, let's go together. We started doing that as a family. Because just to be honest, I don't want more crap to step on in my house. We got enough. Amen, parents? And and just what if you enjoyed it instead of just chasing it? And the last thing is this, don't give without first receiving. If you're new to Christianity, if you're not a Christian, here's what I would invite you to is to understand that the very essence of our faith is not you give, you go to church more, you memorize some verses more. Hey, you get your act right. You stop being so greedy and you start being generous. That's not the Christian faith at all. The Christian faith is for God so loved, he what? He gave. That's the Christian faith. And you receive before you ever give anything. And listen, here's what what boggled my mind as I read this this passage this week in 1 Timothy 6. Verse seven says, hey, we who did not bring anything into the world, we won't take anything out of it either. And I just thought, okay, for God so loved, he gave. Who did he do that for? For those people who did not bring anything into the world. For us people, you didn't bring anything into the world. And yet God gave his only son for you. Your value is not just in the other things that you value. You have inherent value because you know what? God said so and God showed you so in giving his son, Jesus Christ. And you receive that. Before you ever give anything, you didn't bring anything into the world. And yet Psalm 139 says, no, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians chapter one says, you've been predestined for adoption by the blood of Christ. You have forgiveness and fullness and freedom in God. And you didn't bring anything to the table to deserve that. That's what being a Christian is. Do you know that today? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts? you you don't just start giving, you start receiving. And some of you, man, you've never received that. You've been trying to work for your salvation and come to church and get some good deeds and it will never work out for you that way. God's already worked it out for you but you need to receive him. And so I'm talking to some people today who you need to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And you're thinking, Tim, no, I go to church and I do these things. And I'm, I'm not talking about what you did. I'm talking about what Jesus did on your behalf and you opening up your hands and receiving that based on no merit of, the, of your own. You didn't bring anything into this world and yet he gave his only son. Have you believed that? Nothing else will make sense for you until you receive that. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just, I just feel compelled in a, in a day where, God, there's so many just outright lies pushing us down that lazy river of life and relationships and marriage and friendships and money. I just feel compelled to just just pray and ask for your help, God, just to ask for your help for these men and women just to get out of the float and, and start walking upstream a little bit. And God, I know how, how weird a sermon like this sounds if we don't know Jesus. If we just look at our world and see how everybody, it's just a rat race and Black Friday is coming, Christmas season is coming and, and, and divorce is coming And debt is coming and depression is coming. It's everywhere I look. And God, I I pray that you would just be compelled to to look honestly at that and just do something different. (laughs) By the power of your spirit, may you help us do something different. And it's different to walk upstream. It's a little bit more uncomfortable. And yet that's where fullness and wholeness lies. So God, I pray for the people of Phoenix Bible Church. I pray for the marriages in the room, the, the single people in the room, the friendships, the families. God, I pray that there was some, there would be some trajectories and some cycles with money that today would break. And that we would start to honor you first. We would start to worship you first. God, we would start to make a written plan. We'd start to enjoy what you've given us, praise you for it, sing even this song and declare your, your worthiness in our life. and and what you've done for us. And God, that you would just, you would change some things in our city, in our world, through believers in Jesus Christ who grab a hold of this. And I just pray for anybody in here who hasn't received the good news of Jesus. God, I pray that they would come down here, they would stop listening to me, they would come and talk to somebody on our prayer team to my right or left, and they would, they would receive first what you have given them, your son Jesus, and his life and his death and his resurrection. And that their lives would forever be changed. God, we thank you. We praise you for that great gift. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and everybody said, amen.